a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, is what they want you to believe about the Star Wars history. But if you look deeper into ancient texts, into the research, into the rocks, into the spirituality, Star Wars happened here. What do I mean? My guest today, researcher Stuff, is going to delve into the ancient secret order of the Jedi. I'm already in talks with Disney about 15 spin-off series and movies based on this podcast episode. Get ready. It's Open Loops. Right, everybody. Uh, Greg Bornstein here. Consciousness disruptor. Cultural hypnotist. Looper. And the host of Open Loops with Greg Bornstein. Conversations that bend. We have an interesting one for you today. An episode that challenges a lot of conventional worldviews of history. Yes, this is a podcast that is a late-night talk show for the shamelessly, shamelessly fringe. An exploration of the depths of consciousness, the spiritual the paranormal, the magical, the hypnotic, the fantastical, the conspiratorial, the secretive, the mysterious, and really delving into the deepest questions of them all, who and what we really are. I love this guest today because this guest, researcher, staff, is completely in line with the mission of the show, which is to challenge your existing belief systems by sharing radically unique ideas designed to stimulate your unconscious mind and force you to step into the highest version of yourself. Researcher Stuff is doing that by encouraging critical thinking about where we came from. History, philosophy, spirituality... This is a man that cares about getting knowledge that's suppressed out there. And this isn't just a conspiracy episode. This is about this is about you. This is about us. This is about where we came from. He was going through a presentation he was working on with me in this. And I do my best to describe it as much as possible. But I think the best part is that after you hear what researcher stuff has brought to the surface, it's going to make you want to investigate even more. Hearing about the the ancient order of the Jedi and 
all sorts of things related. Uh, who built the pyramids? Anki, uh, the, the Sumerian tablets, lots of lots of classically. I, I guess I should say alternative archaeological discoveries, as well as hearing researcher Stuff's story, his childhood, and learning about the Bermuda Triangle. There's a lot of there's a lot of interesting stuff here. Researcher Stuff became very popular because of the Clubhouse audio app on iPhone. He's led a lot of a lot of different rooms delving into controversial topics. People love this stuff. And I had to have him on. He's a good friend of my friend Rob Yox of Full Spectrum Universe. Hey, we're just trying to get this knowledge that isn't talked about out there. I think researcher stuff is going to be, he already is, uh, one of the leading voices in this field. Such cool energy. Such an interesting guy. And, hey, look, you get your high school AP world history teacher to start talking about this stuff, I will personally go to the college board and I'll look him square in the eyes and make out. I don't know who I'll make out with, but but someone there, I, I, I will... I've never wanted to make out with anybody on the college board, but hey, for researcher stuff's work, I will I will do that justice because somebody who is working on standardized testing just needs to be kissed. You can feel it when you're taking those SAT tests, right? Okay. Enough about waxing poetic with romanticism and standardized testing, though. Maybe we'll do a podcast on that one day. Anyways, researcher stuff. You're going to love this. If you want to get this knowledge out there, if you want me to engage romantically with a group of adults who are coldly determining the future of America's students so that they can then move on and go to an outdated institution, literally and figuratively, make sure you share this podcast with your friends and family, and also follow it on Apple Podcasts, and rate the show and leave a review. Even a few words about Open Loops can help get this content out there. I really love this episode. Here's researcher stuff. Today on Open Loops, we have Researcher Stoff. Seeking truths, revealing lies. I'm very excited to talk to this gentleman. He comes to me all the way from Jamaica. He is a, a researcher in the fields of ancient history, spiritual growth and development, as well as philosophy. And what drew my attention 
is that researcher stuff is very interested in bringing to the surface the things that they don't want you to know, uh, the stuff that's mm-hmm. been suppressed, the things that are, yeah, the, a lot of a lot of puzzle pieces that aren't being put together, the knowledge they're not teaching you in school. Uh, we're we're going to talk today a little bit about ancient secret orders, but before we go into that, researcher stuff. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Greg. It's a pleasure to be here. And yeah, we're going to dive into a little bit about the ancient secret orders today. Um, We have a a presentation that we can go through a little bit of. Uh, It's mainly talking about the Jedi, um, which is um, everybody should know that from Star Wars. But a little bit about me. Thank you for the introduction, Greg. Yeah, yeah, please. (laughs) I'm researcher, right? Um, So I'm a podcaster, new podcaster. Um, I'm a new entrepreneur. I'm a mentor, and I do a lot of research into the ancient history area. I'm also an advocate for free speech, and I'm just going to quote this free speech exercised both individually and through a free press is a necessity in any country where people themselves are free. So I just wanted to drop that in there right there as a free speech advocate, but who I am, what I'm about. Well, I've been, I've been on this journey for quite a while, you know, as you were saying before, Seeking Truths, Revealing Lies is actually going to be the name of uh, my new podcast that I'm, that I'm looking to um, launch soon. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to get it on all the platforms, um, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, etc. Uh, let's see here now. So I describe myself as a critical thinker, a researcher, and a spiritual person. You know, and so I'm not really attached to any religious organization, but I was born and raised as a Roman Catholic. You know, as a as a result of circumstance. You know, I was born into a family where my mom is Roman Catholic, my father was Anglican. You know, and then you know the kids just ended up being Roman Catholic because right. mom had more of a say where that was concerned. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, yes. Pops didn't really too, too, you know, that wasn't really a, a priority in terms of, you know, he just looked on religions. All religions are the same, you know, in a sense. He was kind of looking deeper, deeper than it. So when I was young, Greg, and here, this is an interesting story I can tell you, right? Um, a little bit about my background before we go into Yeah, please, uh, please. I want to hear this. So I was about 10 or 11 years old, and I was having a conversation with my father. And I was told a story about a grand uncle of mine. Um, so he, he wouldn't, he's not directly related to me, but his wife would have been directly blood related to me, right? Now, he was a pilot and he actually was on a, he took two, two newlyweds on a honeymoon trip and they all disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle right what so, okay yeah <laughs> wow wow yeah. i've never any met anybody that has that close a direct experience to um that that very mysterious place mm-hmm. so i i wouldn't even say it's a close experience because um he's removed by me from like but basically like um two generations so this event happened before i was born but he had kids 
before that happened, right? So, um, I mean, I'm in contact with some of the, uh, the extended family members from that side. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, like when you're hearing something like that, when you're young, you're just like, huh, Bermuda Triangle, what's that? You know, yeah. so this kind of opened up the little spark that the curiosity in my mind where I was, you know, always seeking to find out, you know, so what is the Bermuda Triangle? What is it about? Why do people disappear? So I guess you could say that that experience had a big effect on my life because it's like that asked me, or I should say that allowed me to kind of open up this, this, this mental capacity where it's like I'm always asking critical questions to, 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 to seek the answers. You get me? So I oh, wanted yes. to find out what happened to my granduncle, and that led me into rabbit holes um, researching the Bermuda Triangle. And I found out that there is a similar triangle halfway, you know, 180 degrees on the other side of the world called the Dragon's Triangle. And similar disappearances phenomena happen there as well. So, you know, I, I really kind of got deep into it, like maybe after I graduated from high school, um, about 18, 19, you know, that's when my, my, my journey into like more of the spiritual stuff um, started to happen. But then I started to realize that everything is connected on some level, you know, and yeah. I, started to I started to fill in the dots for myself to kind of make sense out of all this nonsense. And the deeper I went, the more fascinating information I come across. And that it's just, that's what brought me here, Greg. <laughs> Interesting. Now, here's the question before we move into this. I mean, have you found the answer yet? Where they went? Do you feel, or do you feel mm. at least you have more of an idea? Mm. Well, okay. So the two main plausible ideas that I have at this time, right? Because I can't say with any certainty that I know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. What happened to them? Uh, just to be fair. Uh, but based on my research into the Bermuda Triangle anomaly, that whole area seems to have um, geomagnetic disturbances, right? Yes. Possibly from um something underwater possibly from the natural ley lines that are being um the energy being emitted right there right so i mean this kind of goes into um the the physics of the planet right which is uh, have, have you ever heard of like um hyper dimension torsion physics I, I've heard of it. I could not speak on it with any authority whatsoever. Well, to be honest, I, I can't speak on that topic with any authority either, but it's one of the 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 topics on my um, areas where I'm going to be doing some presentations on that as well when I get to it, you know, so it's, yeah. it's on the list of stuff. Um, but the first time I ever heard somebody talk about that, it was, a, I believe, a former NASA a scientist i can't remember his name right now i might have to go and look him up but um he was talking about how the um, planets in our solar system have 
this these phenomena that are not explained except through what he was referred to as hyperdimension torsion physics, you know, which is where I got the term from. So um, he was talking about how like at specific latitudes and longitudes on the surface of the planet, there are certain phenomena that occur. And if you, okay, have you ever seen, do you know what a Merkab, Merkaba is? Oh, yes. Yes. I am aware. Okay. Yeah, All how right, would you so, explain it to people? Because I did have somebody on recently talk about it, but I don't feel like mm, it can be explained enough. Well, here's my take on it. Um, Merkaba, according to some, means um, spirit light body, right? Like you're, it's a, so it's, it, they, they call it a vehicle in some cases, right? I've, I've heard it being described as that in, ref, in reference mostly spiritual people when they're talking on like um they're talking about um maybe interdimensional um entities right traveling in a merkaba however yes. specifically what i'm referring to is right now think about the shape of a merkaba which is the um two interlocking um pyramids one facing up one facing down and then try to superimpose that inside the planet and then the edges of where the Mer Merkaba touched the surface of the planet is where some of these phenomena occur. And oh, we- Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. So that, when I, when I, when I realized that, okay, so there's, there's, there's some stuff about the planet that we clearly don't understand fully. You know what I'm saying? Like people are saying, oh, we're so smart now, da, 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 but yet still we can't figure out how um, you know, those megalithic structures were built thousands of years ago. You know what I'm saying? So there's clearly some knowledge missing from the history books, from yes. our, um, just from our curriculum and our understanding, our mainstream paradigm, you know, and that's what really kind of gave me the push when I saw all of the contradictory information to kind of get on that path to find out for myself, okay, does this make sense? Okay, so what's plausible here? What's not plausible here? You know what I'm saying? So through this critical thinking process, I, you know, I, I, I basically started to make sense out of all of the information I was processing and realized that in most cases, um, especially when it concerns um, phenomena like that, um, you know, the Bermuda Triangle, um, information is compartmentalized, you, you know, it's not, it's not easy to find good information on it, right? Now, recently, uh, I actually came across somebody talking about crystal pyramids um, near the Bimini area, which they are associating to uh, a lost civilization, which is also in that same Bermuda Triangle region, which could be what is causing the magnetic disturbances. But I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I would be speculating right there. You know right. what I'm saying? Right, right. <laughs> I appreciate that you at least, at the very least, you're, uh, you, you have a certain level of discernment that even you're not just mm -hmm. going to accept 
any theory as plausible. I think that is a problem in the community. Some people get a little too right-brained, a little too creative, and they question the narrative, but all of a sudden they start bringing in pure fiction into things, and I'm going, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We have to have some barriers here. We have to, uh, you know, I I, I guess before we go into this presentation, in terms of your research for you so far, um, what has been sort of the the way that you've been able to sort information as ter- in terms of more plausible the truthful versus completely false mm, okay so this this is that's a good question greg I, you know my answer to that is it kind of goes into my methodology right so there is um a method to my research Right. Mm. So I try to independently corroborate information before I say, okay, there may be some plausibility to this. Right. And independent corroboration. And you have to also know what types of evidence, you know, is out there. You have witness testimony, right? Yes. You have you have secondhand um, evidence, you know, hearsay, you know, which is not as strong as like somebody who who saw it firsthand. You know what I'm saying? You can have somebody who took a video, right? You can have um, journal articles, peer-reviewed articles. Um, in, in terms of ancient history, like you're looking at archaeological evidence, right? Stones, structures, um, you know, method of construction, the type of materials that they use, anything that you can get to um, add more information to fit in the puzzle to kind of you know what i'm saying so and when you when you kind of apply that sort of thing and there's there's another process that i use actually so all right the the main thing is you should ask there are there are six questions that you need to ask when you're applying to any particular topic when you're when you're trying to find out okay you want to critically analyze something right Say, for instance, we take um, a, a conspiracy topic like 9-11, right? You want to know what happened. You ask yourself these questions. Who? What? When? Why? Where? And then the final one is how, right? If you're able to answer all six questions as it relates to the topic in hand with supporting evidence, you're well on your way. You get what I'm saying? Yes. So that 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 is one um, gem that I guess I would you know drop and give give the audience because essentially it seems like in today's day and age critical thinking is lacking. Oh yeah. Discernment is lacking. People are not um, asking themselves the critical questions. I, I mean, we, we I don't even want to bring up that that. <clears throat> The, th- virus, the thing but... going on in the world right now. Yeah. <laughs> the elephant in the room. <laughs> right. But um, even with that, there's some critical thinking questions where people aren't asking themselves, like, you know, masks. Okay, all right. You're supposed to put it on and it's going to help prevent the spread. Okay, that's the general theory. But all right, what are the health risks? You're going to put on a mask for a certain amount of hours. Okay, what are the use? What are the guideline uses for how people wear masks? If you even talk to doctors, I have a cousin who's an emergency doctor. He, you know, they have a time limit on how long they can wear an N95 mask. 
you know, there's 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 a certain things. It's just like, okay, so when you put on the mask, it cuts oxygen to your body. Your brain also needs oxygen to function at an optimal level. Right. When you when you start doing those things and you're not thinking to yourself, okay, this mask is now going to have there's a risk to wearing it how long you wear it. You know what I'm saying? And these things aren't even being factored into the equation. People aren't thinking about their own health. It's like, it, to me, it's like common sense. I breathe oxygen. Okay, if I put something that's going to block the, the, my two, um, you know, breathing orifices, <laughs> right? My, my two main breathing orifices by which I take in oxygen, then of course, it's going to have an effect on my body, which requires oxygen to function optimally. And when I when I when I came across a, a paper on uh, it was in a newspaper article from the UK, a doctor um, who's a specialist in um, neuroscience. She's a neurologist, basically. Her name was Marguerite Gries Brisson, and she was basically saying that you know there's a risk of neurological deficiency from continued mask wearing. And here you have a doctor saying that okay you're going to develop neurological problems and people aren't even thinking about that because it's just like, oh, okay, mask and social distance, mask and social distance, you know, and nobody's asking questions. All right, why are we masking and social distancing? You, you get what I'm saying? So it comes back to even these critical thinking questions that I said, that I mentioned before. And the two most important questions of any critical thinking um, process is probably why and how. If you're trying to figure out something, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. All the other questions can, I mean, it's like you can, you can, you can have those other questions answered, but if you don't know the why and the how, you're still missing like a big part of the, of the puzzle. If you, if you get what I'm saying. Oh yes. Like, yeah. So oh, yes. that's basically how I, how I look at it. You know, I try to apply my critical thinking methodology to um, all aspects, all areas of my life. And that's basically you know, <laughs> how, I, how I, I apply the same structure when I'm creating my presentations, right? Some presentations might be, okay, I'm trying to get a specific point across or points across. Some presentations, it might be more um, discussion oriented where I know the information already, but I want to hear other people's perspective on the information being presented. So, you know, it just really depends on the format. And I'm playing around with different structures for like um, audio presentations with um, PDF guides, PDF audio guides you know, yeah. to, to go along. So I'm playing around with a lot of different formats. But, you know, I, th I think it's, it's, it's very interesting how people um, today just, they're not, they're not using these faculties of their, their mind as much as they should and this is causing a problem because it's like no you have um even oh my god i don't want to go into that but even even doctors some some doctors i hear and it's like i want to just ask them where are your critical thinking skills have you hmm. lost them <laughs> you know what i'm saying like yeah but you know it's like they take the information they don't process it. They don't ask questions, right? And 
some sometimes when information goes against what they're saying they refuse to look at it and that's that's also like a uh, an arrogance and ignorance. That's know? what I was going to say too. You're speaking to some egoic aspects of the level of society's consciousness. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, I I've thought about, and, and it's hard when you, when you're de dealing in these esoteric realms. I mean, I've mm -hmm. definitely had conversations with people where I am doing everything I can to skillfully, even wedge the door open 1% more than it was before. But the problem is that the person on the other end thinks that by you doing that, that it's going to then open them up to something that contradicts their fundamental worldview. They, they're they already jumping ahead. They're not really present with the information. They just assume. But the, but the, the, the other thing is that... I don't know. It's very tricky. The battle of the egos, the battle of who knows mm -hmm. what. Um, because look, I mean, I'm of the position that everything you tell me today could be the truth, and someone could come on the show a day later and completely contradict it, and then I could go, oh, well, now that's the truth. And it seems that, you know, people in this field, like yourself, are also of that persuasion, um, open to the idea of being challenged, and a lot of people yes. aren't. Um, you know, I mean, what do you think, researcher stuff? Do you think there's any way that we're going to be able to gradually get people to drop the 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 false pride that they have mm. knowing everything wow wow that's a deep question greg that i mean it comes down to the individual right yes. and i'm reminded of, of of a few sayings right so you can lead a horse to water but you can't force it to drink you can always give people the information it's what they decide to do with it Right, so you can't force somebody to change their perspective on a situation. They have to want to change it themselves. And the fact that they don't want to change um, shows, you know, especially when you're talking about um, an egoic flaw like that, where, where, where people are stuck in a arrogant mentality or they're 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 on a high horse like oh i'm a doctor you can't say anything to me you can't talk to me about covid i'm a doctor you know so like right right it, when people have that 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 attitude it's like they haven't done enough introspection on themselves to realize okay this is who i am i have flaws i accept my flaws moving on what do i do I address my flaws. I try to be a better human being. And that's kind of what spiritual growth and development is all about. You know, um, the path, the continuous path of spiritual attainment. And, and the people who, you know, they're, who are tapped in, you know they're tapped in when, when you talk to them based on how they, they, they converse with you. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So it's that it's that it's that resonation field that's that's active between those who are open, you know, those who because, as I said before, I, like, I'm not sure if I said this before, but those who think they know everything cannot be taught anything. Yes. Right. 
So, and it speaks to that same point that you were talking about with, with, with you know, these type of people who they're stuck in this egoic mentality. Um, one book that I really, really have to say that it helped me on my spiritual path um, to kind of understand, you know, the certain higher purposes, higher laws, why we're mm. here, understanding the universe, understanding um, spiritual concepts on um, a philosophical level that's not really explained um, to that degree in any other source that I've found yet. Um, and, but I'm always looking for new information. So the name of this book is called The Kybalion, K-Y-B-A-L-I-O-N. And it's uh, it's uh, it, it's it could be considered part of the Hermetic Library. Um, right. And if you're if you're familiar with um, Hermetic philosophy, you know that they're they're kind of very strict against um, associating with any form of religion. You know, so it's it's really called a philosophy. So um, one quote from that book is: "The lips of wisdom are closed." except to the ears of understanding. Yes. And it's a very deep, deep um, quote. It's called an axiom in the book. And most of the, the chapters in the book are based around axioms. The, this one statement, this one quote upon which the philosophy is built. So the axioms were more like the oral tradition being passed down. Um, you know, because clearly, um, you know, you had certain sayings and these sayings, these phrases, they were handed down from generation to generation. Um, in some secret orders, you might have people who were tasked with keeping the knowledge within a specific um, family lineage, so to say, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Or a specific um closed group of um priests who may have been initiated so you know that's i guess a perfect segue into the um presentation <laughs> yeah 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 i'm very excited my gosh you uh, yeah you you definitely have a lot here yeah uh, i i i sense uh, you you could be a definitely frequent open loops guest with all this knowledge and stuff I, i'm excited about this so yes ancient secret orders uh the jedi we're talking a little bit about now yes. how did you stumble onto this particular topic before uh you get mm. into it Mm, okay, so I came across this topic doing research into, into Egypt, and I came across some interesting correlations. Um, in a, I was actually diving deep into my research on a website, and I came across the term, right, the Jedi, and it's spelled D-J-E-D-H-I, or in some cases, they actually omit the H depending on um, where you're getting the um, translation from, the English translation from. Because, yeah. you know, sometimes pronunciation, um, words, stuff like that will happen. But essentially, when I came across it, I was like, that sounds familiar. You know, like, <laughs> yes. so I, you know, I read it and I was just like, wait a minute, that sound, like, where have I heard this before? And of course, you know, George Lucas, Star Wars, because I'm a big 
Star Wars fan oh, as well. Me too, yes. <laughs> you know, and when when I started to kind of put it together, I, I realized, I, wait a minute. So clearly there's some inspiration here that was taken from, you know, George Lucas, you know. Yeah. So, and, you know, I kind of went into that rabbit hole, realized that, oh, he, George Lucas had a mentor who was basically very, very um, highly knowledgeable in this area of um, ancient Egyptian history. And that was where George Lucas picked up all this information about the Jedi. So the Jedi in Star Wars are actually based on the same fundamental principles and philosophy of this ancient Egyptian order. And that's when I became more fascinated because I was like, wait a minute. And I need to find out who these, these Egyptian guys were. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. So, and that, that's what got, kind of got me into this rabbit hole. And essentially, I was doing research with a, another, um, another um, content creator that I'm collaborating with. His name is Freedom Rain. He has um, a channel on YouTube. But he is very interested in this as well. So we did a discussion presentation where we went over this entire um, presentation that you're looking on here um, and kind of presented it um, live on a podcast application. And yeah, it was good. It was good. The discussion went on for so long. We, we kind of went into every slide. We stopped and we kind of talked about everything in detail. He had his notes. I had my notes. So it was it was a, a very enlightening discussion. You know what I'm saying? But um, essentially, the Jedi, right? Yeah. The philosophy that they have, the, this this, as you see depicted in like Star Wars, where they are, you know, they meditate. They have a a, a code of ethics, uh, morals. You know, these mm -hmm. things were highly um, part of the ancient secret order. Um, so diving deep into it, I realized that it, it kind of has some roots where there's still a lot of missing pieces. And I would be lying to you if I said, I figured it all out. You know what it, I'm saying? Right, right. Because <laughs> I definitely haven't. But what I did is we we put together this presentation in kind of a way to kind of just explain what we came across that we could prove. You know what I'm saying? So we, we took pictures, images from um, actual um, relics in Egypt. Um, the Jed pillar is mentioned at Abydos and Memphis. And before I get into that, the Jedi is actually pronounced um, as it's spelled, the Jedi, D-J-E-D-H-I, then you have other, um, the root word would be Jed, D-J-E-D. And then when I started researching the Jed, no, you know, I realized that, okay, it, it, this is going into like the ancient Egyptian symbols and what the symbols mean, what they were used for, and, you know, kind of getting a grasp of what they were trying to do. So my whole philosophy on ancient Egypt is that the mainstream paradigm tells us that the Pyramid of Giza was built during the time of Khufu, Khafre, Menakure by an architect. They attribute the, the, the construction to Cheops at around 2500 BCE. 
Okay. That's the mainstream narrative. According to my research, the pyramids are way older than that, right? Huh. Way older than that. Because there's no possible way. And, and, and to kind of just plug some holes in the mainstream narrative before yeah, we please. continue, right? Um, they tell us, they give us this time period with, with, with an air of certainty. And I'm doing my air quotes as I say this. <laughs> um, so that time period, now, if you start to examine the technology that they had access to and what they're claiming they built the pyramids with, it doesn't add up, right? So having an engineering background, right? So I can tell you that the pyramids in Giza, um, they have an outer layer of limestone, okay? Limestone is very soft. Yeah. It can be, um, you know, you can, you can shape it with, you know, the tools that they claim to have had at that time period, 2500 BCE, which would have been like Bronze Age tools. Now, the under the under the layer underneath is pure granite. It's blocks. Granite has one of the 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 it's one of the hardest stones on our planet. Okay? okay. To shape granite, you need something that is harder than granite. Yeah. If you're trying to use, if you're trying to shape it using these methods that they are describing. Um, you know, used in the the construction of the pyramid, right? So if you're gonna if you're gonna you know, so like nowadays, just to give you an example, nowadays we use diamond tip tools to cut granite and shape granite. Right. Right. Diamond tipped tools, just to give you an an idea, <laughs> because there's not many substances that are harder than granite. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, when we are shaping granite today, we are using one of our most um, so-called expensive um, minerals, right? And it's it has a hardness capacity that's harder than granite, which is why we can use it to shape granite. Now, if you if you think to yourself that okay, they didn't have diamond tip tools then, what were they using to shape it? Oh, the mainstream guys say that they were using Bronze Age tools to shape granite. Well, that makes no sense from an engineering standpoint. Period. It just doesn't. Yeah. Right? You can't use a softer material to shape something that's harder. Absolutely. <laughs> right? Absolutely. So unless, unless you're using laser technology, and of course, we're stepping out of the mainstream paradigm with that one, right? Yes. Um, you know, there's many other plausible ideas of how the pyramids could have been constructed. When um, my particular research, I, I come across an individual, he's, he's known as Thoth. And in most of the ancient records, he is attributed to be the architect. And he is said to have done this after Atlantis sunk. Yeah. So I'm more aligned with that timeline because from my research, when I fit it into the puzzle, it makes more sense. So you're telling yeah. me that there is stuff out there, if you look at the literature on Thoth, 
Um, mm-hmm. There is stuff out there that directly points to the Pyramid of Giza's construction. Yes. However, they're they're not in, like, you would have to know where to look, basically. Right. It's, 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 it's one of those things where if you have keywords and you know what you're looking for, you can find it. Um, but definitely, definitely. I, I do have um, some archives and I have a presentation on Philip as well. So I'm um, definitely, um, you know, you can check that one out. That one is uploaded on my website so I can, uh, I can direct you to that. So you can find the audio and the PDF. Very interesting. Time, can, yeah. And, yeah. And that one was, it, that, that one kind of explains exactly what we're talking about, but from the perspective of, the, well, the presentation, that, that presentation is entitled Both the Atlantean and the Pyramids of Egypt. So the theme of that one was basically to kind of show the connections from Atlantis to Egypt from this particular character's perspective, his contributions, etc. Right. Got it. Just examining the story. And so for, for that one, mostly I use quotes, citations, um, excerpts from the Emerald Tablets of Fath the Atlantean, which has a wealth of information concerning the the Atlantean civilization, um, what was happening, but the book is also kind of designed to resonate with people who are on the path of spiritual growth and development. And it's also a book that kind of has answers to some esoteric mysteries. So it's a very, very um, useful book. But the first chapter in, I should say, the first tablet in that, in that um, set of tablets is called The History of the Atlantean. And that basically explains a whole lot regarding the Atlantean civilization the um, and Thoth specifically um, what he was doing in Egypt. It describes the construction of the pyramids, albeit not in very not in much detail, but it's 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 quite interesting. Quite quite very interesting. interesting. Okay, so look, so back this the, back to this. You're telling me yes. that this pyramid. So you already believe that the Great Pyramid is older than mainstream Egyptologists say it is. Definitely. Definitely. If you take a look at the, because um, they attribute this, the, the pyramids and the Sphinx in that same time period, the mainstream um, Egyptologists do. And when you take a look at Robert Schock's work, um, who he, uh, is it Robert Schock? I believe there were some geologists who examined that sounds the, right. denud- the denudation patterns, the erosion patterns on the uh, cavern. Um, the cavern walls of the Sphinx, right? Because essentially the Sphinx was basically carved out of one mass, right? Right. And when you you examine the cavern walls, you realize that it's like, okay, there's patterns that show water erosion, but then when they do the science on when there would have been enough water erosion to cause that, it goes way back um, it goes way back further than the um, mainstream timeline. And I believe they were kind of attributing it to sometime before 12,000 BC, right? Based on, or uh, let me say, they said that there was no, there's not, the, there was not enough rainfall to create that 
sort of um, water erosion on the, the sides, unless it was at a certain time period when you would have had a different type of climate in that area where you're talking like um, the entire Giza desert is not a Giza desert. You're talking like it would have been lush vegetation, etc. You get what I'm saying? Like it would yeah. have been a whole different ecosphere um, to create that. And they're saying that that's, that ecosphere wasn't, wasn't um, possible before 6000 BC. So anything, anything in that time period, it, it, you, you rule that out automatically. And if you rule out anything before, or I should say after 6000 BCE coming forward, then that means that the dates for the pyramids are wrong. <laughs> the dates for the Sphinx is wrong. <laughs> yeah. Right? So it's like when you start to critically analyze even just the timeline, you're going you're gonna to be left scratching your head for a few minutes. And then you're going to be like, all right, let me go look into this particular thread to find out why they are saying this and we could go into so many um areas where it's like the mainstream um paradigm is is telling us something that is contradictory to the archaeological record right yeah and you know because i've come across that so much it's just like in some of my presentations i actually start from the mainstream paradigm so I'll just be like, okay, here's what the mainstream is saying about this, right? As kind of like the introduction, <laughs> you know, before I dive, you know, deep into some of the stuff that they maybe never, maybe they haven't been exposed to before, you know, some of that alternative information, you know, these ancient texts, these um, hieroglyphics, these Sumerian cuneiform writings from ancient Mesopotamia, you know, that's the sort of stuff that really has a lot of the answers. And because we're discovering new archaeological, dis, um, you know, relics and excavations, and we're finding new artifacts every day, we're finding new sites. It's just like, you know, when they found Gobekli Tepe, yeah, that was basically like the, the, um, the, the the red warning flag to just like hey guys i think we need to examine the timeline something doesn't add up you know yeah. what i'm saying <laughs> now wait a minute here here's my question for you about this um yeah <laughs> wait my gosh we we are gonna have to do more episodes this is all fascinating um do Both you stuff. think how do you think that the mainstream then gets formed do you think it's just mm. lazy research? Do you think mm. they always know that it's something else and they're just making it up just to make it sound good? What is, because it can't Ooh. be that everybody is just trying to pull one on us. No, um, you're correct. You're correct. It's, it's cognitive dissonance caused by what I like to call knowledge filtration, which is a term I've heard before. Um, so essentially, when you compartmentalize information and you control the education system, you control what people learn. Hence, if you don't want to, if, 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 so, I mean, this might sound far-fetched to some, but when you, when you start looking deep into like, even just how our education system, you know, 
operates and is run, you're going you're gonna to find some like red flags over there too. And you're going to be like, wait a minute, how are these guys the ones that are in control of what we learn and stuff yes. like that in schools? So it's like when you realize that, okay, there's clearly some strings being pulled. It's, big, it's, it's access to information. So I don't really look on people where it's just like, oh my God, you're, 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 you're giving us, you know, cause there's a, there's a difference between misinformation and disinformation, mm, you know, based, yes. based on your, based on your intent, right? Are, are yes. you, do you know that the information that you're giving out is false or you are, are you under the perception that the information is true? So it's like right. the intent really, really matters because it's like if somebody is consciously giving you false information in an attempt to mislead you, those those occurrences are really very, very, very slim. Right. I don't I don't really I haven't really encountered, I guess, because of the type of work that I do. I don't really encounter a lot of people with that sort of vibrational frequency if you get what i'm saying right yeah but um there are people out there like that and i would be ignorant to not you know be aware of that so personally i think that it's just best if we come together to kind of make sense out of all of this nonsense greg right so in yeah. essence yeah it's, it's I, I don't know I don't know. Uh, my mind is, 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 you got me thinking about a whole lot of things right there with that one. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. It's a, well, but, but you know, it, it makes me, it just makes me wonder what is, uh, hmm, why, why is the mainstream like, why does it get such a, why is one person's work held in higher esteem than mm. someone challenging it as much. Why isn't Graham Hancock taught as part yeah. of the curriculum in college archaeology programs? I mean, I know he does uh, get talk yeah. about some things that are, they are out there in compared to the mainstream. So yes. you might dismiss yes. every bit of his work, but at the same time, some of his stuff, right? I mean, that's the big thing with Joe Rogan in that debate with Michael Shermer. Some of his stuff with Gobekli Tepe got verified. Mm -hmm. Therefore, yeah. it has a place in some classroom somewhere, I would think. Um, yeah. But I don't think anybody's going to, I don't think mainstream academics are going to honor it solely because he is more in line with this fringe quote unquote mm. community so mm. i don't know i mean i i yeah. certainly hope the paradigm changes what do you think i i i think that personally the paradigm has to change and i think that it is changing right now right now and people like me are i guess an example of this yeah because my my plan is to to teach this sort of information and make it accessible to those who want to learn. Simple, right? And I'm gonna, I'm, you know, but here's the thing, the mainstream paradigm, to kind of get back on that, they're controlled by certain forces. Those who yeah. are not aware of these forces, right? They are kind of like playing a passenger role, so to say. Um, unaware of, 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 of certain mechanisms that are guiding, you know, the world, so to say. 
And because of this, you have people like doctors who go to school, they are indoctrinated with medical propaganda for seven years, right? Five years, and then they have to go specialize for two extra years. And most of them don't realize that the entire medical system is bought and paid for, right? By the same people who control the education system. Hmm. So of course they're in the so of course they have their hands in medicine and pharmacy and also history, archaeology. I mean, look at look at how many artifacts disappeared from the Smithsonian Institute. Right. Michael Cremo talks about that. So it's like the compartmentalization of information is there and it's a conscious effort. Those who are not aware that this is going on think that the information that they receive because they put like this blind faith and authority in it, they don't question it because it's like, oh, it was written here. Oh, it was written there. So they don't, they don't ask themselves, okay, does it make sense? Right. They're just like, oh, no, it was written here. So that means it's okay. But Harvard Medical Institute said this or, or Johns Hopkins said this. You know, so it's 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 the institutions that are kind of built up and they have this clout where it's like people who challenge them know know you're at a risk of okay, no, you can't work because you're going against the mainstream paradigm or you get discredited. You right. know, and, and this has happened so many times. That's why you have less people who are talking about stuff like what we're talking about because it's like it's all seen as fringe when it's really reality that's just not admitted by the mainstream paradigm which is why people are which is why the whole matrix analogy is so relevant today people yeah. are people are really living in you know under a veil where they can't see what's really going on they only see what's put in front of them and they are blinded by the constant inundation of the programming coming through the, the tell lie vision. You get me? Yes, so. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. So, so okay, so these Egyptians, now you believe that they were, I mean, I do hear it all the time. I hear that there's a fascination. People have fascinations with Egyptians, whether it's Cleopatra, whether it's, it's people like cats. They love having cats. And I, I've, I've definitely heard uh, women that I'm even friends with that say, yeah, I don't know. It makes me feel like I'm in Egypt or something. I've always been drawn to Egypt. Uh, what did you... In your initial discoveries and learning about the Jedi, uh, what did you encounter about Egypt that that really uh, was drawing your continued interest? Wow. Well, before I found out about those, before I was exposed to um, information about that, that kind of put more, you know, puzzle pieces in the picture. I was all, I, w I kind of felt drawn to Egypt too, maybe because there was an air of mystery there. Yes. And because of that experience I told you about when I was young, um, my, my, you know, like my sixth sense 
of just wanting to know certain things, especially things that were considered the unknown or the mystery. That's what I kind of started to, totally. to, to look into first. You know what I'm saying? So it's like Egypt was one of those things where I quickly realized that they were not telling us the full story. I didn't know how, I didn't know when, you know, but I started to kind of ask myself these questions and kind of put together the information and process it for myself to see if it made sense. And then I came to a conclusion that, as I was saying before, it had to be way older than what they're, than what they're actually telling us. But then that brings up to the, that brings the, the extra question, why would they lie about that? And then when you start going down that rabbit hole, you realize, oh, so because of all of the technology, which we don't even look on as technology right now, right? This ancient technology that was being used, right? Like even if you go to slide number two on my uh, presentation, I yeah, just take a yeah, look at yeah. that, um, that um, um, Jed pillar that they're holding, right? This particular Jed pillar, it seems to be different than some of the other depictions, right? The one in the one on the far left. So that one, it, if you look at the top of it, it kind of looks like it has two prongs. Yeah. Right. Now, this kind of reminds me of, you know, a possible, possibly like an electrical device of some sort. Hmm. Right. No, no. Here's the thing. It's like, we don't know, we don't have all the answers for, for all of this stuff, which is why it needs to be researched. Now, if you take a look at the other two pictures beside it, you're going to see one which is like a, a, a depiction of a jet pillar. And then you're going to see a, a, a very interesting picture, which has the jet pillar, right? Plus the ankh and the wasar staff all in one. Yeah. Now, when you start to realize that these symbols have meanings and sometimes the meanings can be lost, you know, like lost in translation, you realize that you kind of have to collate all of the information that you can find, process it, see what makes sense, see what adds up. And then by doing that, you can be like, okay, you know which sources are more reputable to find certain information. And that will help you in your research methodology. You get me? So for me, talking about the Jedi and the Jed Pillar, um, there's clearly a lot of history here that we don't know. There's a connection to the Essenes, the Knights Templar, right? Because they came into Egypt and they were very interested with, with all of the stuff relating to the Jedi. And they just took all of that, right? So, I mean, this, but this happened at a later time period in history. Hmm. How, how old? is the ancient secret order, the Egyptian order, this priesthood um, called the Jedi or the Jedi. How old are they really? So you have to think about when did Egypt really start their path of spiritual growth? And then if you follow the mainstream timeline, you'll realize that, okay, that doesn't make sense because based on the, 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 the antiquity of some of these relics, it doesn't fit. Right. Some of the information, of course, it was passed down and, you know, like the newer stuff, like, you know, in the, the later Egyptian dynasties, you know, like the Valley of the Kings, 
you know, like that's not even that's that's really just like a chapter of the history of Egypt. And it's like the most recent chapter. And most of the other stuff we're we're not even looking on because the mainstream paradigm tends to cut things off at 6000 BC. But as you said, with the opening up of, you know, Gobekli Tepe, you know, with everybody to re-examine the timeline, I think it's the perfect time to go into stuff like this, which is why I thought um, doing a presentation on this would have been very interesting. So in my presentation, it's like it says on slide four, it says like the, 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 the sacred Egyptian order of high priests existed as far back as 55,000 BC. Hmm. However... That doesn't mean that it didn't exist way before that. They can just prove that it went back 5,500 BC. It doesn't prove when the group was formed. So if you, if you start to look at like um, who was really responsible for, for, for um, spiritual growth in, in, in that area, um, Egypt, Kemet, um, then you would realize that Thoth is a, a central figure concerning that. Right. And then when you start to realize who Thoth um, is, like Thoth's lineage, it, that starts to, you know, because there's a lot of conflation with that as well. Like, you know, but from, from what I know, right, Thoth, Thoth's father, right, mm-hmm. is known as Ptah. He might not be known to many by that name as Thoth's father, but he's also known as Enki. Oh boy. <laughs> there we oh. go. All right. So yeah. yeah. Having said that, no. Enki or Ptah, which would have been the Egyptian name. Right. And I'm gonna just tease this for you, because we may have to pick this up. In, a, in another, another presentation. But um, let me see here. I'm going to go right to the one of the last slides and kind of just show you. So like, all right, on slide number 22, right? We can take a look at 22 and 23, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's, here's like just actual factual proof that what we're talking about is there is some relevance here and we do need to kind of examine this. Right, so this guy is called Dejedefre or Rajedef. And as you can see, the Jed is actually in his name. Okay? Okay. So Jed could actually be a title in some cases, or it's given as a title to the Pharaoh. Right. Right? Yes. And it's incorporated in his name. Boom. So. He's from um, 25,005, oh, sorry, 2,575 BC, fourth dynasty king, right? His predecessor was Khufu, his successor was Khafre, right? He was the son of Khufu, possibly his brother. That's what they're saying um, on ancient Egyptian, Egypt online, right? That yes. may or may not be true because as you can see, they're not even sure if he's the son or the brother. But anyway, so slide number 23 now, and here's the interesting part. The noble jet. Who is the noble jet? The noble jet is also known as Ptah. So here you have a direct correlation with 
the first Jedi, aka Enki, mm-hmm. aka Thoth's father, being associated with the noble Jed, known as Ptah in Egypt. So it's like it's all connected, my friend. Oh. People just need to people just need to realize. And if you look on this depiction of him on um, slide twenty three, you'll see that he has the staff and the jet pillar in his hand as well. He has the Wasar staff in the middle and the jet pillar, similar to that that depiction um, of the Ankh that I showed you, that had the two other symbols incorporated in it. Now, if you if you do some research on the noble jet you're you're gonna you're gonna get some this that's a fun rabbit hole let's just say <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah so yeah yeah well yeah. this is what i was so gonna I say i mean i'm very uh intrigued by this kind of research and i think there's an interesting there, there are a lot of people that research and what they do is they say well here are a bunch of different clues. Here's a bunch of mm. different connections. Here's what this could be, but they're still leaving it open to not necessarily how it all adds up together. They don't really have the full hypothesis of what it means, despite the fact that you get the, for instance, the classic one being the um, the Jesus Christ, the story of this person who rose and yeah, that same crucifixion story rising son of God that appears in hundreds. It seems (laughs) just tons of different cultures with different names. And a lot of the times they say, yeah, well really what this means is that Christianity isn't the one thing telling the story, but at the same time I'm going, but then what does it? mean does it is there a connection what is the hypothesis here besides the fact that one version isn't true for you with this stuff yeah um in this presentation do you feel that you found the the order behind the secret ancient orders at all Ooh. um okay so here's the thing regarding like civilizations i would say lemuria Right before the before Lemuria, I have no information on that, so I'm not even going to go there, right? Because that that's in the realm of pure speculation in terms of from what I know. Yeah. I haven't been able to get confirmed information about anything post, you know, before that time period regarding the history of this planet. Not to say record, records aren't there, I just haven't been able to access them, or maybe. They're in an archive or a book that I have on my list to read that I haven't read yet. And I have, a few, I have a few Ashayana Dean books to go through. So um, that's going to be fun. So in terms of the order, Lemuria, Atlantis, and then after Atlantis, that's where most of the confusion starts. And people start to say, well, Egypt was first. And then people say, no, uh, somewhere else was first. So it's like, okay, Sumeria and Egypt has an overlap period, which, which goes on right at this time, in my, in my opinion. Sumeria yeah. was first, right? Um, and then, like, the stuff that was going on in, in Atlantis, I think, was happening while Sumeria 
was around because if you take it, if you take a look at the Sumerian kings list, um, which is a record of kings that um, were before the flood and after the flood, and the flood is supposed to be the biblical flood of Noah, right? Um, if you take a look at the timeline and the, and the list of kings, you're going to realize that it goes back 241,000 years hmm. into the timeline. So there's clearly a lot of overlap of stuff that was going on that we're not really incorporating. But Lemuria, then Atlantis and Sumeria, probably conjunctly, the rise of Egypt after the sinking of Atlantis, specifically. Right. And then after that, now it's like all of the civilizations that we know of. You know, you had uh, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, right? In that kind of order, right? Romans being the last conquering civilization of that time period. But um, there's so much that we don't know, but there's so much still being uncovered. And when people say like, you know, I'll kind of just end on this note, Greg, because I know we're kind of close to time. So when people say that, you know, we lost all this information when, you know, the library of Alexandria burned down and, you know, know, the sacking was so horrible. It's like, okay, Alexander the Great, right, Macedonia, he actually visited somewhere else and got the inspiration from his library from an, a, a much earlier library called the library of king ashurbanipal hmm. and we and we found this library my friend so i just want to tell people that the knowledge is not lost and what? the knowledge will resurface wow wait a minute where's this library <laughs> it's here it's in it's, it's in ancient mesopotamia in the same region um, that's called Sumeria, modern day Iran, if I'm not mistaken. I could check back my map. Yeah. So you're telling me yeah. there is a library of knowledge there that is untapped currently? Yeah, some, some tablets in it were destroyed, but albeit they found it in spectacular condition for the, the antiquity of the library. And to give you a, a story about this library, when King Ashurbanipal was putting these, um, his library together, most of the stuff he collected were already thousands of years old. So oh. just think about that. And um, if you check my Noah's Ark presentation, you'll realize that uh, all of the, the um, Mesopotamian, or I should say all of the biblical stories have originated from Mesopotamia. Right. And I put two quotes from two scholars who wrote a book at the start to kind of tee off that. So before we, you know, dive into the Mesopotamia in that presentation, because that's where the focus is for that particular story. You get me Um, regarding the Sumerian Kings list, Noah's Ark, all of that stuff. And, you know, King Ashurbanipal, he might have been a a Assyrian or Akkadian king. I'm not sure which one. Um, I'll, I'll look him up later, but it's A-S-H-U-R-B-A-N-I-P-A-L, Ashurbanipal. And you just look up the library of King Ashurbanipal and you'll get, you get some information on that. Albeit, just take the timeline with a grain of salt anytime they mention dates. <laughs> yeah. Especially if it's a mainstream source. <laughs> 
<laughs> there was so much here. I don't even know. I, of course, yeah, you know, you were saying before the, this that, uh, you know, it it took multiple podcasts and conversations for you to get through this entire conversation, and I see why. Just because mm-hmm. it yeah. just opens so many doors. I mean, look, if there Tons. is anything yeah. that, and I know we barely scratched the surface of this presentation <laughs> on the ancient secret orders, um, but if there was anything that you think is tangible that we can really something something that you know we can understand in our daily lives today about the jedi priesthood Mm. that would really change the way we operate through the world what do you think is your most important conclusion for somebody to to walk away from once they really understand the profoundity of what you've discovered okay um i think that might be maybe to all right so i'm gonna quote directly from i think which is the most relevant slide which is slide 11 to answer this question right um and this gives you some information about the jedi that i found that was interesting and kind of resonated with me so i I clipped the the source where i found it and put it on the hyperlink on the slide as well so you can check the source documentation the article so it says here the jedi are real They are the pillars, the light bearers, the guardians and champions of the high ideal of embodied virtue. They take many forms across the incarnate, yet their purpose is always the same, to hold space for what is right, for what is just, and and what is true. What should be understood is that the mythologies of our media are based on real things. Throughout time, the Jedi have always existed, beings of cultivated techniques of attainment and energetic mastery devoted to serving the world. In their exalted aspect, these beings live lives of deep dedication, disciplining themselves to understanding the structure and application of the energetic arts, the cultivation of virtue, and the right use of power and that's all i gotta say right there amazing researcher stuff we're gonna link to where people can learn more about all this stuff delving deeper into these presentations um as well as hey i mean you you have a very strong presence on clubhouse on stereo um so yeah you're you're always doing very fascinating talks uh, i even found you with my friend rob yox that's that's how, yes. I, that's how i got to you rob of uh full spectrum universe very good friend oh, of mine um, rob is a good friend of mine as well most definitely i'm gonna be working with him a lot in the future yes i love it i love it yeah no you you definitely have to come on again this has been so fascinating and uh just the tip i know of all the research you've done uh so yeah researcher stuff thank you again for coming on the show this has been very 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 deep lots of stuff to process here but uh it totally worth it thanks greg thank you i appreciate the opportunity to be here on your platform and anytime just let me know and we'll we'll make it happen brother Awesome. Part two, part three, anytime. Absolutely, absolutely. Researcher stuff. This guy is great. 
He's always doing new things too. He has a Discord channel. Follow him on Twitter. Go on Clubhouse. He's a humble man. I like the humility. Thanks for coming on. I want to thank Ronnie McGilvery for the theme music. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank again that high school substitute teacher that came in one day and said they're lying to you about everything and he never was allowed back on the premises. Probably the biggest secret influence behind the show. Take care.